Hello, everybody, and welcome to What's in Your System, a podcast from Scholars at Play where we just chat about whatever we're playing, reading, thinking, or writing about in relation to games and other things. Um, I am your physically and socially distant Derek Price. I am Kyle Romero, coming at you on the ones and twos from Manchester, New Hampshire. I'm Terrell. Okay. <laughs> we all made it. We're all back. It. We're all on. Uh, we're all socially distant and remote. So uh, for- forgive any uh, audio <laughs> lapses. That's just the lag. Yep. Terrell's going to be extra poignant with his pauses today. Where if one cannot speak, one must remain silent. I was going to say really quick, Kyle, our dear friend. Mm. I mean, can we announce this yet? I mean, it's just basically right, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I want want to uh, uh, do a very uh, cringeworthy, sincere thing and congratulate (laughs) my good friend uh, Kyle Romero on becoming Dr. Kyle Romero. Yay! Well, well, thank you. I I also Congratulations to all the children of the world. (laughs) Somehow they let me out, you know? They They said it's time to go. Uh, They said, please leave now. (laughs) From our humble beginnings, uh, I don't know how many years ago, um, when Four. I think I, I mentioned that I like had thought up what my dissertation would be about, uh, to oh, now where, <laughs> where just recently, a couple weeks ago, or I don't know whenever this will go out, but a couple weeks ago I uh, defended my dissertation. Uh, they did not hate it. So, <laughs> uh, I was, Love. I was, I was granted the PhD and I, you know, um, I think as it says in our notes now, I think I become the boss of the podcast now. <laughs> I think that's right. Oh man, Terrell, can you believe it? <laughs> I can't believe that I wrote this joke and also that he's our he's our boss. I'm now. the this new leader. Uh, I get I receive the value of your labor now. Um <laughs> about like, you know, an exponential, so an exponential value of your Nobody labor can mine. see me right now. Uh but yeah. I would just like everybody to know that I have a can of Arizona tea uh <laughs> on my desk and I'm just gonna look sideways and give the best Kermit swig. <laughs> Terrell, I think we should unionize the podcast. Yeah, honestly, uh, yeah. You know, I could bring in some scabs. We start, <laughs> we start like you know an episode in a couple of weeks and just be like, "Hi, I'm Kyle Romero." Like, and I'm I'm Derek, and I'm Terrell. Like, hey, what is what's our names? Like, I'm Terrell and Daryl. What are they? Yeah. Like, shut up. Just say jokes. Say funny jokes and insightful things, and I'll just like keep talking. <laughs> Don't cross the podcast picket line. <laughs> Uh, yeah, but yeah, thank thank you guys. Um, I promise that my views today and on all future podcasts will be uh, probably less insightful than when I was in graduate <laughs> school. Um, one year can, older, one more degree, and one uh, year dumber. <laughs> much stupider. Uh, yeah. I'm excited to... Man. Thanks, guys. It's been a little while since our last recording. Uh, we did some recording in the fall and then kind of just didn't find the time in the spring and then we had this whole quarantine situation so yeah we're i'm I'm just glad we're glad we're back together oh uh for the for the for posterity it is the 15th of may 2020 mm. so we are oh my god almost exactly for me at least two months into quarantine at this point so yep oh that's a long one our our podcast really has charted a like long political trajectory if you guys remember our first episode was recorded i believe it was like november 4th or November 5th, 2016. Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah. Which, you know, of course, was three or four days before uh, our very good president was elected. <laughs> um, 
I think we talked about how like, oh man, just can't wait for this, you know, campaign to be over and for like normalcy yeah. to return and to kind of just like get back to, to, you know, our important hard work. And then like the world went crazy. And, you know, now we're kind of just charting this through uh, the arrival of, you know, I'm assuming everyone's going to remember or know that this is happening, but there's a pandemic going on in America. Yeah. And uh, yeah, that's what we're doing all now. Over the world, all over the yep, world. Yep, of course. That's, that was very... But, national uh, of me, nationalistic of me to God, think. Um, this is, I didn't know that this is what your your doctor. <laughs> to be fair, doctor, you know, in you. in support of American exceptionalism, we are the worst <laughs> in terms of <laughs> the like response and sickness rates in America. We it came to us a little later than some other parts of the world, but uh, yeah, we've failed spectacularly to deal with the, the consequences of it. So that's the that's, cool that's the, that's the kind of thing that we do. Terrell, you got anything to add here? Um, you know, it's just interesting. Um, between Animal Crossing, I mean, Doom twenty six or Doom twenty twenty rather, uh, Doom Eternal, uh, and the <laughs> Final Fantasy VII remake, uh, those games kind of have been the pillars. I think there's I forget what the meme uh, was, but the pillars that are holding up uh, civilization, at least for gamers at this point. And, uh, I <laughs> yeah. think it was Austin Walker on the Waypoint podcast uh, speculated that years from now, or it may have been um, uh, Rob Zagney, who speculated that ye- or years from now or months from now, someone will talk about how uh, the pandemic influenced the reception of those games, respectively. So, uh, Yeah, absolutely. Be interesting yeah. to see. Yeah, we'll see. What, what, what kind of uh, dissertations and intense nostalgias will will arise from this yeah. this this time of of intense home time yeah. well um hey why don't we get into the thing that we do on this show this thing um, don't we just talk about ourselves yeah i mean i think that's mostly what we do i mean isn't in the end don't we always do it. <laughs> um i think we should talk about what we i think you know uh, this is a you know obviously the the structure of this podcast is pretty loose but yeah, I think uh, I, I think a lot of people, as Terrell already said, are finding some solace in games, and I'm really curious uh, what what kind of uh, what has your quarantine gaming been like, uh, and, and like what has what has been the thing that you've turned to now that you kind of have to be inside. Hmm. I I pose this broadly. <laughs> you want to take it, Terrell? So for me personally. Uh, Oddly enough, I've kind of continued with my trajectory of sticking to handheld games just because um, uh, in, in ways I think, Kyle, you'll appreciate, you know, given that on the Bloodborne podcast, you mentioned you like to consume as much media as possible while you're gaming. Mm-hmm. Uh, handheld gaming is just the easiest way for me to do that. That's one of the reasons why the trading card game, uh, I'm very close to 300 hours. I think I've got like a couple more hours to uh, log into that. Uh, so I've been playing that a little bit. Uh, I also have been playing a few of the Final Fantasy games. I have a few um, takes to, to talk about that a little bit later. Uh, I also just da- uh, jumped into uh, thinking about how in the fall there was Link's Awakening, the remake that came out for the uh, uh, Switch. I downloaded the um, Oracle games, Oracle of Ages and Oracle of Seasons on the 3DS. Mm. Uh, mm. And what I was trying to encourage as many people who had a 3DS and I guess um, a Wii U as possible to do was download those games now uh, so that Nintendo sees, oh, we just released this remake and we saw this uptick and these other games kind of coming up because people, you know, 
had this sense of like, ah, these games were really good. Let's get as much as we can. I really enjoyed the remake. Uh, so hopefully Nintendo gets the hint and re- decides to remake some of those games as well. And I'm still kind of hoping that that happens. So that's actually the transition I've made recently um, after finishing some of the other games that I've been playing. Uh, and on a non-gaming note, something that I got into that was, you know, kind of fun. Uh, I've started watching um, some old TV shows that I had some DVDs for. So that's kind of been a little bit fun. The TV show Leverage, which is uh, a game, a show that came out in 2008 about the, not really so much about the financial crisis but its themes very much sort of respond to that just sort of a bunch of thieves stealing from rich corporations that steal from people so that's been kind of fun uh and i'm also excited that avatar the last airbender is now on netflix joe go check it out that's really cool yep okay but yeah that's that's a wide sort of shot of what i've been doing since the the um the pandemic and the quarantine hit uh along with reading books and you know writing my dissertation yeah of course yeah (laughs) i'll I'll, I'll echo that of course we all have right (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> um yeah I'll, I'll echo that with uh i have been playing a lot more handheld games uh I, i'm not sure why really but like when mm. i think of the past few months like what i've been doing it's been predominantly on my switch or my 3ds um because for a long time like i pretty predominantly played on my on the computer and I don't know, something about like the really heavy dissertation phase phase writing in this past kind of three or four months combined with like the world slowly falling apart. Like uh, <laughs> there was something very nice about just like I'm on the couch now and I have my switch and like Parks and Rec is playing and I can just like be on my uh, <laughs> on my handheld game. So I, I've been doing something uh, very similar. Yeah. Nice. That sounds very chill. Yeah. Yeah, I've been I yeah, you know, this is this is really interesting cuz like I think <clears throat> for a lot of folks the 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 pandemic and the forced and the quarantine the 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 necessity of staying at home has made them sort of like, oh, I can finally play Skyrim. I can finally like mm. do like they have really busy lives, maybe kids or whatever and they like don't play lots of games. My my gaming I I play I tend to play games fairly regularly both for research and for fun. Uh, but my gaming habits have also somewhat changed. I have not been doing um, handheld stuff, but I did do I did do one thing where I was like, "Oh man, I never played X. I'm gonna finally play it." And it and that thing was uh, was Doom 2016. So mm. the, the, when the new Doom Eternal came out, I was like, "Hmm, do I want to buy that?" And then I looked at my library. I was like, "Oh yeah, I never played the first one, or I only played like an hour of the first one. Why don't I actually just download the one I have and, and play mm. it?" So I went through that. I also uh, uh, was playing initially for research and then also for enjoyment, Euro Truck Simulator 2, um, which I, I will talk a little bit more about later, but that's been actually kind of a blast. I, I got a, as a as a very generous offer from uh, our department, uh, the chair was able to offer us a little bit of extra research support for remote teaching and research and uh <laughs> i used that to buy a steering wheel controller <laughs> so um yeah so i've, I've been playing Eurotrack simulator to a bunch um i've been playing tabletop simulator which is basically just like a a way to play board games uh um on the internet with with folks who are far away and that's been a lot of fun and then uh and yeah and then the thing i want to talk about a lot more later which is very different is uh um games games that you might call uh that that go under different names but they're all sort of physical games that you print out and then you play um often solitaire Mm -hmm. games so single player sort of paper or board based games that you print on your own so print and plays or 
role and rights. These are like the the like a, the <laughs> fandom terms for these kinds of games. Um, but yeah, that that's kind of what's been on my on my plate. Um, so yeah, Kyle, tell us more about um, the things you've been playing. Well, Derek, and <laughs> um, yes, yeah, so like I said a little, a little while ago, um, playing a lot more handheld stuff and. So I have two games in particular I want to talk about. Um, I, I guess there's no reason for artifice. The games are uh, Animal Crossing, uh, New Horizons, which I think it seems like every human in the world has at least heard of, um, <laughs> or at least seen something on Instagram or Facebook or something or Twitter about uh, kind of a game that is sees the public imagination at a time like when uh, you can't go outside, that you can just like live a normal life on an island and talk to people is. Uh, become very popular. Uh, that, and then this other game called Link Between Worlds, which Terrell mentioned, like, nostalgia gaming being, a you know, a big thing, especially with, you know, Final Fantasy VII, Link's Awakening coming out on the Nintendo Switch Online, uh, stuff like that. I picked up this game, Link Between Worlds, which I believe came out uh, 2012. And, guys, this game is fucking awesome. Uh, Link Between Worlds is a like kind of reimagined or like revamped version of Link to the Past, which originally came out for the SNES, I believe. Um, at least I played it on the SNES. It might have been it did NES. It came know. out. Yes. Okay, a Link to the Past is technically the real, or many consider it to be the real follow up to uh the Legend, the original Legend of Zelda. There's Zelda too, yes. but like, man, yes. <laughs> so, uh, Link to the Past is like you know for me my kind of like predominant Zelda experience growing up it was like before uh Ocarina of Time I guess you know that was kind of like how I played Zelda and this was like the, the, the classic game where you know like you get three pendants and then you have to do like six dungeons and it was kind of like it kind of set the stage at least for me to understanding like how Zelda worked for a long time you know mm. um and it introduced some elements that had became became kind of fundamental to uh, the Zelda kind of history and the Zelda like games, which is the existence of another world. So like a like separate dark world was introduced and that those two worlds are related. And so if you like change something in one world, it'll change that in the other world. Um, like I said before, the idea of like a uh, kind of intro starter period and then like, you know, with your three pendants, similar to your thing of like Ocarina of Time, you get your three gems, you know, and then you can start doing the... Uh, the medallion missions, you know, with the uh, temples. Um, so it introduced kind of those kind of things. And this was, I mean, Link, I should probably have looked this up, but Link to the Past came out like in the 90s, right? Um, anyway, so uh, in 2012, I believe, they released Link Between Worlds for the 3DS. And I picked it up because I, I had heard it was like a remake of Link to the Past. And I was like, great, I love Link to the Past. I'm, I'm glad to play a remake of it. But it is so much more than that. It is hmm. it is so much more than that. It, so it takes the same map. Like it has an identical map uh, as Link to the Past. But it's an entirely new game taking place within hmm. that map. It has like similar elements of you kind of wake up and you like you're uh, told you have to go to the castle and like you get your sword and stuff like that. But the storyline is entirely different. And the really big difference here is that they play around with a lot of gameplay elements that uh, I think, be, have, you know, this is 2012, uh, Breath of the Wild came out in 2018, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, 2018? Yeah. Um, and a lot of people praise Breath of the Wild for its kind of like innovative gameplay mechanics. 
a lot of those I've actually found in Link Between Worlds, that they had been like experimenting with some of the mm. same ideas. So um, in particular, uh, what I wanted to, to talk about was they Link Between Worlds is similar to Breath of the Wild, where they kind of give you a suite of tools at the beginning, like a suite of like abilities and stuff right at the beginning in the first like, you know, a couple hours of playing that then after that you have your choice of how you want to proceed in the game. It's not like an open mm. world. I mean, it's, it's a very small map relatively because it's a 3DS game. It's not running on a lot of power, you know, um, but you are allowed to do the dungeons in any order. Uh, there's like a system where you can like rent items from this guy. It's like this weird bunny guy. It's weird. <laughs> um, and you can rent items from him and then like uh, go through the dungeons having the rented items. And also, very importantly, the link between worlds is they introduced a like 2D, 3D mechanic, similar to like a Paper Mario, where you shift between three dimensions and two dimensions. So Link is given the power to merge into walls. And so that's right. I remember seeing ads for this. Yeah. And so it, it really it changes the whole like every dungeon requires some levels of like wall merging, as well as like a kind of specialty item that you can rent from your weird bunny friend. Um, <laughs> who I won't spoil, but is a very interesting character. <laughs> um, and so they kind of took the, the that main mechanic of like you know two D three D playing with that, and then merged it with this like you know open ish world. Um, yeah, and it, it reminded me so much playing it of Breath of the Wild, where I remember the first time I played Breath of the Wild, it was so shocking to like get your bombs and then your magnesis and then you know the time lock, like you get everything right at the start. And I was like, well, wait, like, what's the, the point of this? You know, and then the rest of the game is kind of playing around with how those mechanics can work with each other. Right. Um, Instead so, of those items representing gates that yes. allow you to finally access something like you're just free to combine them as you wish. Yep, exactly. And so I had always thought that Breath of the Wild was something that had kind of not come out of nowhere, you know, but like represented this like really big evolution in the way that. Zelda, which, you know, Legend of Zelda games are kind of the archetypal, at least for me, uh, RPGs, right? And, like, gated entries, you know, like, the narrative kind of being linear and following it through, um, and or at least one of the, you know, our, our archetypal RPGs. And so that they were playing around with this back in 2012, and I, I was actually reading about the development of the game, and it started in 09 as a kind of, like, offshoot after uh like they were making skyward sword nintendo was making skyward sword and they they put a kind of small team of people on like hey maybe you can mess around with like revamping link to the past or something and they sat down and kind of mapped out like what are the problems with the legend of zelda franchise and this is back in 2009 and they were they were looking forward and they said okay a big issue is like the gated gameplay that you know Mm. you get items as a result from and you know this is in the wake of the huge success of uh, obviously Ocarina of Time and Majora's Mask, but like Twilight Princess and for them to sit down then and say like, we're going to change the way that this entire game is imagined. I, I found very fascinating. Um, mm. And I, th- I thought in my mind, like that you guys hadn't played it and I don't really know anyone else that's played this game. And so I thought it kind of skated under the radar, you know, like maybe it was a small mm. release. Although I was just reading an article that said it sold two and a half million Units, yeah, that is game is pretty lot. well known. <laughs> yeah, like, it's pretty well known, and it was like really well received by critics. Oh yeah, um, I, I so I, I don't think I'm you know uncovering new territory here, <laughs> uh, but I think it, especially in light of playing it after playing Breath of the Wild, because I got I kind of did it in a reverse order. Um, 
yeah, I really noticed some of those seeds that were being set for Breath of the Wild that the, the really innovative approaches to gameplay uh, were actually kind of present uh, in this game that came out in a very limited fashion uh, like eight or nine years earlier. So, yeah. Um, yeah, it's really good. You guys should play it. It's really funny, too. There's huh. a lot of like really funny elements to it. Um, Is it only for 3DS? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Um, and it's, that would it's, that would bar me from trying it unless yeah. I found an emulator. Although 3DSs yeah. are getting cheaper. Oh yeah. yeah. Okay. In fact, it this may be that sweet time because the Switch's popularity is kind of pushing it down in sales, but eventually it will have the GBA effect where you know not GBAs yeah. are actually really hard to get a hold of because they're so expensive yeah. for you know retro reasons. But right. Yeah. So I think that this is the time, and you know, it's 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 a great time to be a Legend of Zelda fan, which I think any listener to this podcast knows that i'm a huge legend of zelda fan um because like terrell said there's the link's awakening remake um the uh you can get i think classic link to the past on nintendo switch online like for free if, you, if you're a subscriber to nintendo switch online so like great time to be playing that um and this link between worlds as well as you know like this little game called breath of the wild um <laughs> great great time to be playing it highly recommend 10 out of 10 i guess this is a review podcast now <laughs> um, yeah, great but, uh, great gameplay excellent graphics love the sound you know love it. Five out of five. i just want to throw in one quick note because there is i finally discovered and i go to weekly meetings of the breath of the wild haters anonymous uh, <laughs> not, not and, super anonymous i guess but. and we're here for you terrell and we're supporting you on this journey and kyle you've, you've just touched on the thing that i think all of us have in common which is that we actually love the dungeon structure we love the idea mm. of going into a dungeon getting a weapon and that weapon is the tool through which you think through what's going on in the game or what's yeah. going on in that dungeon whereas this whole different setup where it's like nah there's no this weapon or this tool corresponds to this dungeon everything's open together that's that's the switch between who does what and who likes what but yeah mm, yeah be. it's a good point i think like I, I was initially very hesitant towards breath of the wild because of that because you know ocarina of time is so kind of fundamental to how i understand not only legend of zelda games but like video games in general and i was like just make it again like make <laughs> make it make this game but different but i want it again you know yeah um yeah, I think it's it's like a different way of approaching the game and maybe it feels less like a Zelda game or I don't know, maybe it's maybe maybe this is proof that there's always been kind of like multiple tracks of understanding how like Legend yeah. of Zelda games work and that like maybe I don't know it'd be a great, you know, history, but like if there's a, no, uh, yeah. a kind of internal debates over like the future of the franchise and like how how the how the Nintendo was thinking about um the kind of like gameplay mechanics i think is really interesting what well, um, i kyle i don't want to i don't want to uh, leave you with my diss about the five out of five review because i think you fine. touched on something really interesting is that the idea that um you basically your experience in playing that game has helped me rethink about and recontextualize breath of the wild as like mm. you know i think i think there's often a temptation especially i've i've found myself struggling against this uh, in my research is like you basically you know you want to avoid saying things like it's never been done before or no one's ever or this is completely new right because you always get yourself into trouble with that and and uh i i really appreciate hearing the the context that like you know the sort of give you a bunch of tools and let you figure it out style of zelda game actually has a history even within that particular franchise which uh which might be 
worth revisiting and, it, and if you really like it then go play it because it sound, it would probably be right up your alley or yeah. if you don't like it then probably don't go play then it. don't do it yeah it's good to know. <laughs> it only costs i think the game's only twenty dollars if you want to buy it so yeah. um, twenty dollars brand like, new at that yeah yeah it's like they're like they, they did for 3ds i think like right when the switch was coming out like the like selects like 3ds selects so it's like all the best games for the 3ds are like twenty dollars um Damn. so that you can just get them all yeah Anyway, this is not an ad for that. <laughs> but uh, yeah, uh, other than that, I've been playing Animal Crossing. Um, it slaps. It's very good. Everyone knows this. AOC plays it. it oh my God, um, that was pure. Kyle, can you tell us what you just said? What did that mean? What did AOC play? Uh, so, what does yeah, that mean? Like, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, a congresswoman from New York, New York State. Um, I believe like the 8th District... Man, if you got the district right, I would be very impressed. I, might, I, might I don't know be, that, actually. might just be completely wrong. Um, yeah, so she, uh, she played uh, Animal 14th. Crossing as well. Uh, what's that? 14th? 14th. Right, close enough. Um, <laughs> she plays Animal Crossing as well. And I think she, the, the thing I was specifically referring to is she like, visited a, a like, Animal Crossing graduation. Like People had, like invited so people to their island um, to uh, like, you know, celebrate their graduation because we're, you know, we're living in the time of covid and you have to be socially distant and they wanted this kind of social experience and aoc was like hey what's up it's me i'm here too and gave <laughs> and like gave a speech at these people's uh graduation and kind of celebrate their uh their big momentous occasion and i mean what a perfect pure thing right i just uh, for so many i reasons. love it so much <laughs> it's like it's the exact kind of like scary like if it was anyone else i'd be like yeah like this is scary and suspect and like but it's just so pure, and I, it gave yeah. me so much life. Amazing, when I saw that. yeah, dude, <laughs> it's so good. Um, um, yeah. Kyle, I, 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 I want to ask you so many things. I want to yep. ask you, what's your favorite villager? Who's in your? Who's on your island? Oh man! But, but, um, but yeah, no, just, just keep going. Tell me, tell me more about. Yes, I'll just start I'm with my. Edit this right out. So. <laughs> just cut, cut that nonsense. I'm gonna right cut out. me out right there. Go ahead, continue. <laughs> Yeah, I'll start with a, uh, I guess, a short history of my dealings with Animal Crossing, which is that uh, I played, okay, this has been driving me crazy. The original Animal Crossing was for the GameCube, right? Correct. I think so. Yep. Like I'm, I'm that is crazy. correct. Okay, yeah. Okay, so I played the original Animal Crossing uh, whenever that came out. Um, I'm, I'm very loosey-goosey with dates right now. I'm, I kind of I <laughs> dated all your myself date brain out yeah, on your <laughs> during my dissertation defense. I'm like, it was like in the 2000s probably um so i played i played a, a fair amount of that but and i distinctly remember as a year old um that uh, you can just edit in the right year later uh <laughs> 40 i'm pretty sure 40. animal crossing came out in 2002 and i want to say that okay. because i had a friend who played it and she had a foreign exchange student around in 2002 who talked about it so okay i could, I could just look it up i guess but no nah, i'm not gonna do that don't. Um, so whenever that was, uh, I was, you know, like t between 10 and 13, probably um, playing the original Animal Crossing. I had like a very visceral sense memory of a point at some point in the game where I was just like, why am I doing this? You know, like, <laughs> like I, I was like 11 or something and I'm just like, no, I don't enjoy this anymore. <laughs> you know, um, like I'm just catching bugs and doing whatever because I'm doing it. Like, I've never been a huge like completionist in video games like, i have never mm. been driven to like 100 percent everything it's just not kind of how how i'm uh built and so i remember that very distinctly and then you know all, uh, i had a lot of friends and a lot of people i follow on twitter and instagram were getting really really excited for new horizons which came out in march 
and I, you know, I was kind of like, okay, may, like maybe I'll pick it up, you know, in a few months, but uh, I'm not super crazy about it. But uh, March 15th, I think, which is when it came out, uh, whatever date in March it came out, coincided with uh, not only me entering probably like the worst six weeks of my life in terms of like my <laughs> workflow and like the amount of work I needed to do every day, but also the arrival of uh, this, this pandemic to the United States um, rough, in, yeah. in force. And so it kind of came at this perfect moment uh, in my personal life, but it seems like for a lot of people that this kind of idyllic game where if, if no one's ever heard of or played Animal Crossing, which seems crazy to not have heard of it at this point because um, <laughs> it's been so dominant in the media, but uh, it's a game where you kind of just like... You know, it's like a life simulator. It's it's not dissimilar from a game like Stardew Valley, perhaps. Like, it's not a farming sim, but, like, you kind of just live on an island and you live your life and you build stuff and you talk to people and catch bugs, you know, and that's kind of just the whole game, right? There's not, like, a... There's no end game. There's no win state. You just kind of live on the island. Um, that spoke to me very deeply, <laughs> bunkered <laughs> away in my, in my uh, office, just, like, laying on the floor trying to, trying to write stuff. Um, uh, in the in a fetal position, mostly. Most <laughs> the time. Um, and so I, you know, I was like, you know what, let's do it. And I picked up the game and I would play it for like an hour or so at like three a.m. after I had finished <laughs> my work for the day. I'm not being a very good advocate for graduate school right now. If you had better work habits than me, you wouldn't have to do this. But I have awful work habits, so this is what I was doing. And uh, it offered this, you know, as ever, as a lot of people have talked about, this kind of escape, this getaway, to not be worrying about. Um, the real problems of life and to worry about dumb fake problems in life. Like, Oh, I need more hardwood to create this chaise lounge for my, uh, third bedroom, you know? <laughs> um, yeah. And so I think it's a good game. The, the kind of the things I just wanted to like touch on really briefly that I've been really impressed in impressed by with this game where, um, the pacing is really good. This is something that I think Stardew Valley really, crushed and i you know i think i'm not sure if they took any cues from stardew valley or if they kind of had their own internal understandings of this but like the way that the game parses out uh rewards over time is very smart so this is a game that like uh in some ways the older animal crossings that is linked to real time and so uh your switch it keys to your switch's time and it like a day in the game is a day and when it's nighttime in your in life it's nighttime in the game when it's daytime <laughs> etc like shops close at certain times like everything is kind of keyed to real world time and so and when you i assume when you die in the game you die in real life <laughs> yes it, and just like that uh you, <laughs> when you get bit by a tarantula um, in the game you get bit by a tarantula in real yes life. <laughs> geez the first time i got bitten by a tarantula in the game because okay re really quick sidebar if you get stung by wasps or bitten by a tarantula, you get like a black eye, which I don't understand how it makes any sense. But if you have a black eye and you get stung or stung by wasps or tarantula again, it like ports you back to your house. And the first time it happened, I was just like, did I die? Because <laughs> like the screen goes black. And I was like, did I just, did I just lose Animal Crossing? Like, can am you, I the dumbest you person die in, the in this world? friendly game? Yeah, in this nice, beautiful, weird game. Um, Sorry, but yeah, <laughs> yeah. So it's keyed to real time, and so you know it really encourages playing uh, like every day for just like a little bit of time, uh, which is smart for for a game I think to kind of keep you engaged with it. And they kind of parse out the island developments over time. So like 
your shop will get upgraded and they'll be like, or you'll do enough stuff to warrant upgrading it. And they'll be like, yep, it'll be ready like tomorrow at like when, you know, I think the game switches over on days at like 5 a.m. And so it'll be ready tomorrow. And you're like, well, fuck, now I got to play tomorrow. You know, like, <laughs> I have to get back in on this tomorrow so I can see what this new, this new shop is like, you know? Um, yeah, and I think it's, really, it's been really smart with that. And you can see from a lot of the, like, tutorials online or walkthroughs or not walkthroughs, gameplay things of Animal Crossing online, there's a really, really high ceiling for what you can do with your island. Like, they give you pretty much unfettered access to changing, like, every single thing about your island if you uh, kind of get far enough in the game. So, like, complete terraforming power, complete, uh, like, waterscaping, like, anything you want to do, you can if you, like, spend the time with it. Um, and I like that it kind of rewards the, your hard work with, like, very, like, tangible, visible things of like oh you worked really hard to like make your island look nice and you're like you can walk around it and be like this does look really nice you know like i i put in the effort and i enjoy that i'm basically just talking about being rewarded for labor i'm not sure what the higher kind of meta commentary <laughs> is about that right now i think it's fairly obvious um but yeah i think it's a very good game that uh with the kind of real world tie-ins like really keeps i keep going back to it at least for like 15 or 20 minutes almost every day just to like check in on stuff see if there's a um, something on like that's a hot item like that I can sell for extra money, like all these kind of little ways that the game is keeping you interested. And I think it does those very, very well, just from like a gameplay uh, mechanic system. Yeah. So who's your favorite Islander? Oh, man, I got so many. Um, I think Renee is kind of my, my, my favorite right now. Uh, can Renee you describe Renee? Renee is a pink rhinoceros. Um, for, the, <laughs> for those who haven't played Animal Crossing also, like, you're a human, and, um, all the, but all the people on your island are animals, and, like, this never explained why, um, and so... Oh, I like Renee's look. Yeah, I Renee's like this pretty good. Sort of, so is Renee... about Renee's personality. So, just a quick question, is Renee a large rhinoceros? Um, no, she's, like, the size of most other things. She's got a big head. But uh, does have big head. Yeah, okay. she's like the size of 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 a human, you know. Okay, because uh, I wasn't sure or, if you had said big rhinoceros or pig rhinoceros, and I was oh, like, pink, pink rhinoceros. Pink. Sorry. Okay. Because when you said pig pink. rhinoceros, I was like, oh, so is it like the Avatar <laughs> like, world where every like animal is a cross? That's my favorite. Okay, we shouldn't talk about Avatar. But my favorite line in Avatar is when they're in Bossing Say. And uh, the bear, like, yes, the king's bear, and he's like, "Yeah, we have to find the king's bear." And he's like, "Platypus bear, platypus bear." He's like, "No, no, it's just, just a bear." <laughs> Squirrel bear? No, so just good. bear. Just, just a bear. Weird. So, like, did, did like that one bear, or like did that one line of bears mate with a bunch of other animals and create all the other monsters, or like? What's up? You know, <laughs> deep lore. Yeah. Anyway, deep lore um, on the Avatar movies. Yeah, that's it. She, she, she or Flora, Flora the flamingo are probably my favorite yeah. islanders. Um, I, I'll try. I'll segue into this really quickly because I don't, I don't want to get too, too like mushy with this. But my wife also plays Animal Crossing, and so uh, you're on the. If you play on the same Switch, you can live on or not. Can you must live on the same island? And it's pretty cute. We like send each other gifts and stuff. And that's cute. Aww. That's really cute. Yeah, I don't think that's. I think that. <laughs> I think that's super relevant because I think that's a big part of how you experience the game. Yeah. Also, I, I love Flora's um, shirt. Oh, and, and Flora's fabulous. She she's an aspiring pop star. 
Oh my god, I love it. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I, at first I was initially a little put out by that. That uh, people online are very upset about this. That you can't get like multiple islands on a Switch. If you get one um, one island per Switch, and mm. so if you have multiple people playing on the same same Switch, which I think is true of a lot of you know couples, but also a lot of families who like play with their kids. Everyone is really upset that they're like, I have to share this fucking island with my like dumb kid, you know. Um, <laughs> And Don't tell me I've got to share it with my wife <laughs> My next. annoying <laughs> wife and kids, am I right? <laughs> um, and initially I was kind of like, oh, that stinks. Like, I play, I've been playing Animal Crossing and like, I'm a weirdo. Like, I'm like, oh, I want to build like a weird island. And my wife is like, oh, I want to build like a really beautiful island. But we're now kind of finding the middle ground. <laughs> like, you can buy like a Godzilla statue. And I'm like, oh, we're getting like 12 Godzilla statues. And like putting them <laughs> over this island. And so now we just have one Godzilla statue. Um, <laughs> compromise. That's, so. that's beautiful. That's see. That's what that's what makes a marriage strong. This is incredible. Is, I love it. Going from twelve Godzilla statues to just one, a tasteful can, amount of Godzilla statues. You can see it in the way we we dress as well, because like dressing is a big part of the game. Man, explaining Fashion. Animal Crossing makes it sound like so dumb. Like I was trying to explain it to my family, <laughs> who like none of whom play video games, and they're all like. Yeah, I don't get it. I'm like, no, but you can dress up too. It's really good. And like, <laughs> Kate always dresses up like for the season or for like the time of day. And it's like, oh, oh it's I love it. And like, I'm going to wear like a nice dress and like, oh, it's like nighttime now. I'm going to put on like a sweatshirt and stuff. I <laughs> just buy the most ridiculous outfits that are available. And, Go ahead and hit me, uh, hit me with one of your favorite outfits. Yeah. So, my favorite, one of my favorite ones is I, I call it. <laughs> <laughs> I call it like my, he's like kind of like a crusader pervert. And, <laughs> <laughs> and Yikes. So I have like a big, a big bushy mustache and a monocle <laughs> and like a kind of uh, <laughs> three musketeers hat. And then like a like crusader, like uh, a <laughs> like Christian knight outfit underneath. <laughs> uh, and I got okay. my hair, make my hair white and, uh, <laughs> He just looks like the kind of guy that would be like, hello, like, like walking up to you at like a weird uh, costume party. Uh, um, yeah, I do that. Kyle, just so you know, you, you, we cannot release this episode until you send me a picture of your character okay. in that outfit, because that will be the image that we use for this episode. <laughs> yep, that, that, that will happen. I'll send you a, a, a crappy screenshot from this. Oh, image. man. Uh, him giving like a big wink. Uh, yeah, so there's a lot you can do. You know, there's a lot you can do in the game and different ways of playing, and uh, it's fun to see them in the same in the same sphere. And I like it, and I'm gonna keep playing it probably once we're done with this podcast. <laughs> Kyle, to your point about describing the game to others, it's totally like yes. that uh, episode in Community where Abed and Troy are describing this game that they were playing over winter break, and it's like, yeah, like, yeah you can get a job, and you can pay bills and pay taxes, but don't get audited, but that's bad. And they're like, it kind of sounds like real life, but totally like, not, because it's a game and it's cool. So. <laughs> yeah, but it's cool. <laughs> don't, don't get audited. Um yeah, it's basically like that. Uh, try, I even showed it to my parents, and they were like, okay. <laughs> like, I was like, no, no, you'll get it like, once you see it. And I'm like, oh, God, what am I doing? Oh, no. I mean, <laughs> it's like showing someone a meme that you thought was hilarious. And, yeah. And then <laughs> watching their dead-eyed like... stare. <laughs> you know, this is something we don't uh, talk about that often, um, maybe meme? for strategic reasons or not. But like the ways that people who are outside of gaming respond to gaming 
is just so interesting. I had a recent interaction with one of my um, advisors uh, where I told her I was working on this paper that involved video games. She was like, oh, well, you should look into this book. And I won't get too much into it, but just based on that recommendation, it it shed a lot about what she thinks video games are and what I do in video games. But, oh, man. Yeah, I think that's about right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Apropos nothing, there's just uh, uh oh, well actually sort of related to Terrell's point of like yeah this is this game where you like get a job and pay taxes and stuff. There's there's tons of really great um uh game studies research about um the links. If 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 listening to that description of of Animal Crossing makes you think wow it just sounds like you just do a job and like you buy things. The thing you didn't mention was that there's, you have a mortgage that you have to pay off. Oh yeah. For um, sure. <laughs> uh, if all of that sounds like, huh, it's weird that there's all this like labor, like stuff where it sounds like you're just doing work in this playful game. There's tons of awesome research yeah. about that. Maybe I'll link some of that in the description. Yeah. I don't, I don't know if you're ready for this, uh, like quality level of segue that I'm about to drop on you right now, but like, Oh my God, I hear that <laughs> there's lots of games where you can simulate, living and uh, i think uh do you want to talk a little bit more of that that derek uh, oh, games where man. you can uh, simulate well let me just go ahead and take that from you kyle thank you very much <laughs> i will tell you about doom 2016 is what i assume you were referring to yep where you uh, uh, where you simulate the important work that our first um, responders to demons are out there performing hell. right now clearing <laughs> hell off of earth going to mars um yeah i i actually like I actually don't want to talk too much about Doom 2016 because I think it is a very well-made video game. And actually, I already Terrell and I chatted about this on the phone or sometime, uh, one time, very briefly. But like, I think it was probably important when it was released in that it was different from the other games that were in the first-person shooter genre at the time. Um, playing it in 2020, I was just like, okay, this is just a cool game with guns and you shoot the demons and there's like a little bit of a little bit of fun characterization around your silent protagonist versus the guy who's you know in your ears telling you what to do um otherwise i didn't like i didn't think it was like a masterpiece the one thing i really like about it is the music and i think like just the way the music cues to action in the game i don't think that again that's not even necessarily a new thing in video games either um but i just think that the the music is fucking badass and like really sells the emotional experience of combat for me almost more than any other part of it i imagine of course you know the gun feel and all that you know derek it's interesting makes a big difference but to to vaguely reference that conversation we had something that just occurred to me is that doom 2016 came before things like Wolfenstein, which I think delivers a very similar promise, oh, yeah. but also yeah. gives you, I'll just say it, a more satisfying narrative. So Yeah. Yeah. It's kinda when you can I get think, both I, I, I know I know that like, you know, I I don't want to wade into the Doom Eternal waters because I've not played the game at all. Uh, apparently one of the things of the new Doom is that the story gets expanded in a sort of bad way in that they try to make way more out of the lore um, in in this 2020 Doom Eternal uh, versus in the 2016 uh, Doom. Um, and that's fine. I mean, maybe it's not, maybe it doesn't work so well there, but I do feel like, you know, for me, the 2016 Doom was really just like, I shoot the guns, the heads go boom, I kill the demon, <laughs> I, get up the, I get the upgrades. Nice. 
Um, and then there's this kick-ass metal music by uh, Mick Gordon. There may have been other people involved in the production of the music, but I just wanted to shout out the uh, the composer. And uh, seems like he also played guitar for parts of that uh, uh, parts of that recording. So that's cool. I played that. Um, I've been playing Euro, Euro Truck Simulator Two. Um, so this is probably what Kyle meant for me to translate. See, this to. was the good segue that then we had to make a joke out of classic Derek. I just, Kyle handed me a gift and I yeah. slapped it out of his hand. You just put it on, on, in the ground and then buried it. <laughs> and then, with buried it. And, then <laughs> I, and then now what I'm going to do is hell. dig it back up and pretend like you wanted me to find it this way. Yep. Oh, n- nice trash gift, Kyle. Thank you. <laughs> this is great. Let me brush the dirt off. Um, I played Euro Truck Simulator 2 a bunch uh, for research because I was trying to play games for research and get things done in these last couple of months. Um, I have to say, I have never truly, like, deeply enjoyed any of the simulator games that I've played until I played Euro Truck Simulator 2 with um, with this steering wheel setup. Um, <laughs> it's just such a fascinating thing to hear, like... I don't enjoy any of this unless I'm writing a dissertation about it. It's, it's been a weird thing for me because like I, you know, I didn't I didn't start doing it. Like I think a lot of folks probably write their dissertations like I'm really interested in XYZ yeah. or this author or or this period in history or this sociological phenomenon or something like that. I have some personal connection to it. I I I obviously I'm interested in video games, but like um yeah, the simulator game thing was kind of like out of was a surprise to me. So like I didn't, and it was never something that had attracted me before, but I do think that I, as I write about it more and think about it more, I realize that simulator games just require, I think a certain kind of role playing and that Mm. the more props you have available to you to enhance the feeling of, uh, as if you were doing the thing simulated in the game, the, the more the effect of, the aesthetic of simulator games really works. Mm. Um, so first of all, Euro Truck Simulator 2, developed by SCS Software, um, is just like one of the nicer and probably longer running uh, series uh, of simulator games. Um, you know, SCS Software has been making like truck 18-wheeler games for like a decade. Um, they, have a, they have a ton of them. This is just the one that's probably the most popular and well-known one. And... Uh, yeah, I just like I, I don't have much more to say other than that I like the feeling of the steering wheel. Like, first of all, it's just easier to control than with like a mouse and keyboard. Like it is not fun at all to do these car games with a mouse and keyboard because you can I like the only game, Euro Truck Simulator 2, is the only one that I know of where you can actually control the wheel with your mouse in a weird way. But mostly mm. I just have to tap the A and D keys on the keyboard to turn the wheel slightly left and right when I'm on the highway. And let me tell you, that is not fun at all. And it's like <laughs> not smooth. It, it is not a good translation of input to the thing that is being represented on screen. Can I ask a quick the question? Wheel really works. Yeah, yeah, please, please. So this is just someone who, you know, of the three of us is not really the PC gamer, although I'm trying to change that. Is that the way most, like if I were to play Grand Theft Auto on a PC, would it play that way? Or would, the, would cars control so. that way? For the most part. Okay. And, and um, this, is, this is like a little bit of a lack in my knowledge in terms of like, so I don't play a lot of like racing games mm-hmm. um, or other games. Like I actually, I own Grand Theft Auto 5, but I played like, I don't know, five hours of it. I, and I used a controller actually when I played that. Um, I will say also that like a lot of these sim games are also often more fun with a controller where you can do subtle 
soft inputs with the control stick. Um, so that that's another that's that's sort of a bridge towards uh, what I've found to be the really enjoyable experience of, of the steering wheel. But um, something about the force feedback and about like pushing the pedals with my feet, uh, it really, you know, basically just allows you to really embrace, you really have to throw yourself into that um, that sort of uh, uh, aesthetic. And you have the to... physicality of it. Yeah, you have to, and you have to like kind of want, you have to sort of, the the I guess the point I want to make is the, the material equipment, the controllers, encouraged me to throw myself into the simulation and really kind of embrace it and and it's actually it's a really chill and fun game you know um, something when you play it that else way. that occurs to me now sorry to keep like just haunting your talk no. just with the, these weird incursions but it strikes me now that the wheel probably also invites your experience driving real cars into the game which probably exactly. opens up so many different things and avenues. I don't know. I hope that I'm not just repeating something that you said, but no, no, that's you're clarifying and saying it quicker, which is, yeah, it's just like, it is, it, you know, the, the, what is the real difference between <laughs> sitting behind um, the wheel of a car with power steering um, versus sitting uh, at your desk with a um, force feedback wheel, which for those who don't know what that term means, it means that when you turn the wheel, it sort of resists a little bit. It's not just like a like a, a piece of plastic on like a screw that you can just turn freely. It actually like like strains against you turning it. So like especially when you set it, when you adjust your settings finely for like a big truck or a, a nimble race car, it'll like resist your turning in different ways and it'll rumble like the engine is on. Mm. Um, but those those kinds of I mean like power steering is like. Uh, a sort of mediated controller for your car, right? Like, um, if if you ever, I don't know if anyone's ever driven a car without power steering. Um, yeah, it's bad. I I accidentally had to one time when uh, I think I had some whatever the fluid is, steering fluid or whatever, Ste- some sort of hydraulic fluid. fluid was missing, and I had to like, it was like you have to like, oh, like wrench it to the side and like really push it. So I don't know. It's just been, it's made me realize, you know. What's what's the real difference, man, between real life and games, man? There's not really much, man. No, I mean, like, if you die in Euro Truck Simulator, do you? If you crash in Euro Truck Simulator, do you crash in real life? <laughs> I mean, that would be funny if the game crashed. Actually, yeah. if you actually crashed. Uh, I have two uh, comments. Last question, please. Uh, one, I think. Uh, comment one. I think it is correct to not write a dissertation about something you really love. Because that is a surefire way to hate the thing that you really love. <laughs> False. <laughs> Boo. Nope. I gotta. I gotta. I gotta. I gotta disagree. It's two different profiles uh, of being a scholar, and they're they're they have their disadvantages and their weaknesses. But well, I think it's in terms of something like a, like a video game or something, I think you should write about something you're passionate about, and you should write about something that matters. Like like I I, I do not. Uh, <laughs> I completely agree that you, 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 like if if you distance yourself so much from your scholarship that you don't like think it matters or are passionate about it, that's bad. But like, if I were to write about a video game, I'm not sure if I would be writing about like Legend of Zelda or something because I would one just of be your like, favorites. I mean, I I, I hate know. to say it, but like the texts that I write about are all texts that like have a near and dear place to my heart, and maybe that's like a recipe for disaster. But yeah, man. I mean, if it works for you, I think that's. <laughs> It's like it's um, like I think it's part of learning mo- different modes of engaging with stuff, and yeah, there definitely is a a sense in which you you probably do lose 
some particular experience with a text that you spend that much time with. But I think you gain, there's other things you gain along with it. Yeah. You know, it's, it's sort of like, depends on like which experiences you want to preserve, right? If it's really important to you that like playing this game be a sort of pure, naive and enjoyable, pleasurable experience, then yeah, probably writing a dissertation will not, will, will, will likely damage that, that relationship. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Yep. But now that I'm thinking about it, both my comments are relatively flippant and unimportant. But the second one. <laughs> That's okay. The second These are important one is, things. How long do you think it's going to be before you have built a like custom simulacrum of a uh, inside of a truck? Just like inside so of your apartment? The horn is on its way already, okay. air horn. And um, I was just at the dealership today to check out the sort of seats that they have. The cab. Um, those are pretty expensive, <laughs> but expensive, but I'm going to just get them delivered to uh, our new place we're moving soon. So okay. um, I don't know, like six months till six I'm months. Uh, uh, just you know, doing trucker shit all day, every day. I just have um, this image of Derek <laughs> in a full-on trucker getup like Sheldon Cooper in the episode where he's messing with the model trade set and here's this like grown man, renowned physicist, like tooling around in a dress up clothes like he's five. But yeah, like I'm just it imagining matches. I'm imagining like like a living room and like a couch and your guy's cat and then just like a truck cab. <laughs> just like it like a full like truck cab with no wheels or anything, just like sitting there. It's the just goal. like you you in it like hey what's up <laughs> the goal is to get the sleeper cab so that i can just sort of fully mm. stay in the cab like it'll sure. be like an apartment in within an apartment um, the dream <laughs> yeah so i'm working on it um yeah. the other the other simulator i mentioned before was tabletop simulator which is um uh, a sort of it's a software program which has games in it i would probably want to describe it as it's been developed by berserk games which is um the people on wikipedia that when you google that company's uh name are jason henry uh kimiko enrique lopez and lawrence Steele. um so yeah it's 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 a it is a 3d simulation of a table top um, with like some mild physics, like you can pick up things and stack things and and grab multiple things. You can sort of roll dice. Uh, you can flip cards um, uh, in in a physical space, in like a sort of virtual space. Um, it has been a real blast for me um, because it's been a great way to socialize with friends, both like who I typically might see in my day to day, but also friends who I actually haven't seen for a long time. Um, and and the one thing I really like about, of course, like I like playing board games. We've played a bunch of fun board games on there. But the the thing that like, and I think this will probably resonate, or this will <laughs> entice a lot of people, is like, you get to be co-present in a certain kind of way. But you're the the form of mediation is not the camera is on and you have to be smiling and nodding. Mm. But you just have a little virtual hand that moves throughout the space. It's like a little pointer, really, more than like a full virtual three D hand. Um, and so it just like it it allows me to socialize in a in a much more relaxed way than something like a Zoom call does, mm. um, where like I'm constant where you constantly have to sort of present your body to a camera twenty like for the entire it's just immensely of that tiring. Yeah, it's tiring. It's really tiring. Um, so I've had a lot of fun with Tabletop Simulator. Um, I'm 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 going to go just short of endorsing it, uh, just because. It does pretty much fundamentally rely on people making bootleg copies of games. 
uh, to function. So basically, there's like 30 games. There's like no, there's like 10 classic games that it comes with, like chess and Go and checkers. Um, then there's a workshop with like 30 official licensed games, and then there's the work the, the I'm sorry. Then there's the DLC section with those 30 licensed games, and then there is the deep dark depths of the workshop where people are just straight up like recreating big brand licensed games and you know putting them in there probably nobody's getting paid off of that not even the person making the mod um this does this brings me to though the one thing i actually do want to talk in some depth about um which is um so i want to tell you a story about a game called deep space d6 um which is a game that i initially found on uh, tabletop simulator because i was looking for um uh solitaire like single player like what could i play on tabletop simulator by myself so i was googling like different solitaire games on on board game geek and other websites and stuff like that this game came up i was like oh cool it's a spaceship um so stop me if you've heard this before uh in this game you have a ship and you have crew and you have to assign your crew to various stations. <laughs> and you have encounters where you have to defeat various threats and make decisions. And then at the end, there's a big final boss ship that you have to defeat. Does that sound I've, like anything I've never you're heard of that before. With? I have no idea what you're talking about. Yeah, it's, it's <laughs> totally escaping. No, it's, it's basically uh, very obviously sort of a, a board game recreation of uh, FTL. FTL, yeah, yeah okay. it literally like, fell like, out of oh, my wait. brain. <laughs> I'm like, wait, am I, I missing something that it's it's not FTL? <laughs> no, it's like okay. it's it's very clearly like a recreation of FTL in a certain sense, uh, for like a sort of physical board game style. Huh. So I found this game and it was really cool and a lot of fun. And it, the concept is very simple. You have a ship with various spaces and you roll six dice that have like unique dice faces that represent different crew types. And you encounter threats. It's mostly like enemy ships uh, uh, that you have to sort of defeat uh, by spending a certain amount of points. It's all very sort of abstracted, but it really does by it's got a a deck of random threats that you shuffle. And that creates a a lot of the sort of random, exciting encounter stuff that I really like about FTL. I really liked the game. Um, I played it a bunch on Tabletop Simulator. And then I was like, man, you know, I heard about it because I found it on a list of of uh, these so-called print-and-play games that are, like, actually free. Um, Mm. So I wanted to play this game in real world with real paper uh, because I was tired of looking at screens, which I don't know about y'all, but I am, like, spending even more time on screens than I used to um, to the point where, like, by the end of each day, my eyes are just hurting. Is that your experience, too? Yeah, 100%. Yeah, it's it's just like exhausting. Like I'm just like staring at the screen. So like out of necessity, I really wanted to like try doing these print and plays. Um, I really what I really wanted to do is because like Deep Space D6 has become an actual board game since its creation. I don't actually don't know what what year it was created, but it's 2018, 2016, something like that. It's an actual board game, but it's like an indie. This is just a guy, Tony Go. I never mentioned his name. So Tony Go and Tim McBurney uh, are the people who created the board game version of this. Um, but they had an initial run on Kickstarter, right? They, they got a number of Kickstarter backers to support it. And then they had an initial print of the board games. Then there was a second run with a second edition and an expansion, but like you can't, you just can't buy 
a new copy of this game anymore because mm. it is an indie game made by this guy. And, and I think the art was done by this guy, Tim McBurney. Um, or maybe they, I don't know what this breakdown is. I know Tony Go is the main developer. But yeah, basically, like, I was, like, desperately searching all around the internet for the version of this game that I had been playing in Tabletop Simulator, which is... To be fair, and I'm sorry, Tony, if you ever listen to this, but it is like a basically a bootleg version of the full game, right? It's like the base game updated and the expansion. And I had really learned to use both, and I was really enjoying both. The files I could find online were only for the prototype that they made for Kickstarter. So, mm. <laughs> so what I did was um, I went into Tony. If you're Tony, don't listen. <laughs> Shut your ears, don't listen Tony. to this tony please don't listen i went into the the files that tabletop simulator saves right so like there are these little mm. physical objects and you can just like load images from the internet onto any physical object that you load up in tabletop simulator so the way people rebuild games is they take pictures of the real stuff or they find images online somehow they upload them to imager and then they import them into the, into the into a little physical square that they make in Tabletop Simulator, and that's how they reproduce the game. So I reverse engineered it. I took the the PNG that had all of the cards, like the, all of the card images all in one file. I split it up in Photoshop. I put it into a Word document and messed with the printing <laughs> sizes so that it would print correctly. Then I printed everything out, and I cut everything out, and I taped things together, um, and I got a folder for it, and I um, I didn't go as far as like creating custom die faces because I don't have that kind of I don't have like stickers or, or like high quality paper or whatever. Mm -hmm. But basically, the only way I was able to play this game physically was because it existed digitally on Tabletop Simulator. Mm. And that to me was the kind that to me is the interesting point here. Right. Is that when I have when I've thought about games and preservation um, <clears throat> before I've almost always focused more on the fact that games are almost always going to disappear, right? Like they're, they're mm -hmm. inherently fragile things that are dependent mm -hmm. on specific hardware, especially in games, it's proprietary hardware um, that has limited production runs and breaks down and, and becomes hard to access, right? Like there's some, there's a lot of problems with preserving digital stuff and and with using digital means to preserve things right like this goes you know this is the argument against just digitizing archives because to a certain extent paper actually will definitely last longer than almost every hard drive ever made yeah but <laughs> it was in this moment that i finally i think i finally understood something that i definitely heard before this is no new insight by any means but just like what is the value of digital preservation it's to preserve things that were never big products right it was, it was mm -hmm. to preserve things that never had a lot of production that never uh, reached a sort of cultural reception that was very broad and like had tons and tons of people following it right when you never entered the archive in the first place mm. or when there were just like not enough things like whether for political reasons or like practical production reasons digital copies can actually be the one way of actually getting another physical copy of something again. Um, so that was really interesting to me. And I think that has plenty of broader significance beyond games, right? If we think about the the kinds of archives that people have created, I know at Vanderbilt, 
there's the um oh, i can't remember the vanderbilt slave society's arch- archive um uh, yeah i think it's the slave and secular society or is that what it is no yes slave, slave, and- slave society's database and archive yeah ssda yeah so, something like that that has like i think it has digital recordings right of of people actually speaking um it's just like you know like i knew that that was a practice before but like the the process of like going through like oh i i would just like to have a physical copy of this and then realizing like oh i can't hmm. i actually yeah. can't get a physical copy of this in fact the only way for me to get a physical copy of this is to make it and yeah. that was just a really fascinating experience to to go through so you're really just like speaking to my historian soul right now. i hope you know <laughs> right? i'm just like i got my hands up i'm like receiving receiving the, the grace you know uh. <laughs> yeah it was just like yeah it was just it was a cool it was a cool experience i also just really like it turns out i just find it really fun to like build things and cut things out and and you know print you know mess with all the printing it was just it was it was in and of itself the process of rebuilding this game was just kind of fun as well so yeah i want to shout out deep space d6 it's a cool game it's fun i love also tony like please 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 do a new issue i would love to buy the game please you can you can you can listen again now tony yeah close your ears before you can listen (laughs) uncover your ears ears. also uh just quick short short shout out other print and play games i've been playing to give my eyes a break utopia engine by nick hayes Mm -hmm really fun a total blast all you need is 2d6 and two pieces of paper that you uh pdfs that's totally on board game geek you can just download it it's freely available you don't need to bootleg it like i did uh another one that's really fun is bargain basement bathosphere of beachside bay by <laughs> scott Slomiani. i'm not sure exactly how to say your last name scott my apologies but that's another super fun one um, again a sort of d6 based game um, check those out if you are looking for something one it's free two you can print them out uh and not look at a screen and have a lot of fun um and do something that like we do all the time with video games right we sit down mm-hmm. and play alone um it, it sounds a little strange i think honestly it was strange sounded strange to me to play a board game by yourself yeah but it's not actually much different than a computer game in a lot of ways hmm. Yeah, I think it's interesting because I have been thinking a lot about board games recently and how board game culture is probably going to change a lot over the next couple years, I imagine, because like For sure. coming to communal spaces and like doing things in person is just something that's going to have to wait for a little while, you know? And I, I've been looking at our collection of board games. Almost all of them are like multi-person cooperative games. And I'm like, mm-hmm. I don't know the next time we're going to play this is, you know? Um <laughs> I like that idea a lot of the th- of re- kind of rethinking through like the physicality of some games and thinking uh, either taking games that exist online and making them into physical games you can play by yourself or uh, kind of rethinking how to play physical games. Something that's going to be something for a p- lot of people who are a lot smarter than me to think about over the next <laughs> couple of years. Yeah, it's interesting. Deep Space D6 sounds very similar to a game I heard about a few years ago where i think it may even be just like a star trek themed game but the point is is that there's like a commander or someone who's ahead of the helm and they're sort of giving orders to a bunch of people who are sort of processing it on the various like you know apparatuses and on the screens and do whatever but the commander does not have a screen so it's all this sort of like feeding back to that person and so the fact that that guy doesn't have to stare at a screen or that person doesn't have to stare at a screen yet the others mm-hmm. do. I don't know. I'm wondering if there's ways 
uh, made with a dual screen setup that someone could do that over like Zoom. Although then you're yeah. staring at a screen, but <laughs> <laughs> there's more screens. Yeah, the the answer is always more screens. <laughs> so that was that was my piece. Um, Terrell, what you got for us? What's what up? have you? What's what's in your system? What's in your system? What's in my system? Um, well. Uh, just thinking about the the year overall, I may have said this on a a previous "What's in Your System," uh, but I've been playing a lot of remakes uh for the past year, and I'd say that probably began since last summer. So thinking about kind of twelve year kind of scoop, the thirties have been a year. Uh, you know, turned thirty last year. This has been a year of of remake video game playing, starting with the Spire of the Dragon remake, which was um a blast to play. I started playing it on the um playstation and then uh switched over to the switch and you know 100 percented it it was great uh the Link's awakening uh remake that came out in the fall played that uh i also circled back to playing the um the metroid games that came out for the game boy advance so zero mission that was an interesting retelling of um the original metroid game that came out on the nes uh i've been playing a lot of tactical rpgs lately so uh, as I mentioned earlier, Into the Breach, uh, played a lot of that on the Switch, probably ruined my Joy-Cons, uh, now playing on a PC, <laughs> praying that it won't ruin my mouse. Uh, I got, well, I got a little uh, uh, obsessive with uh, Fire Emblem um, Three Houses uh, to the point where uh, I started recruiting a bunch of characters that I liked, and I realized that the game is probably fighting me a little bit. Uh, because there are two more characters I want to recruit, but if I recruit them, I will have recruited an entire house. <laughs> so somebody will have literally no one to fight me. And I think that the game is trying to push back against that because there's probably some like later down the road, like, you know, people need people, persons in their houses for various reasons. So um, I might get back to playing that. We'll see. Um, also uh, played a few games on the PlayStation Portable that were way back when. Uh, but most notably, in returning to the, the tactical stuff in a bit, uh, I've been diving into the Final Fantasy series. Um, mm. The Final Fantasy series, for you know anybody who's not familiar or has been living under a rock or is curious why there are 15 games entitled Final Fantasy, uh, <laughs> is a series that began on the NES um, by a company, Squaresoft, uh, at the time, now Square Enix, uh, that was basically about to go bankrupt. Uh, and they were like, let's make this one last game. And it was a hit. And so they made more games from there. And each game uh, has a radically different plot. So they're not continuous. So no, Final Fantasy VIII uh, does not pick up with the same characters as Final Fantasy VII, nor does ten, nor does thirteen. They're all um, their own sort of instances. That's why there is a 10-2. That's why there are three iterations of Final Fantasy XIII. Um, for anybody who's ever the Final Fantasy. <laughs> I actually did not know that, Terrell. Thank you for that. Yeah, it's just it's just one of those things that, like, unless someone tells you, you're just like, what are they doing? So, um, <laughs> and interestingly enough, I've also continued my sort of remake uh, theme in playing particular Final Fantasy games in that I've replayed Final Fantasy or played through Final Fantasy Tactics, The War of the Lions, which was a remake of the game, uh, the original game, Final Fantasy Tactics, that came out in... 1997 and i also played through the game that's all the buzz right now final fantasy 7 remake uh both of those games their original mm -hmm. iterations came out for the playstation in 1997 and 
Um, I've just got like a pretty decent history of playing Final Fantasy games. I started playing um, the Final Fantasy games when uh, I just finished sixth grade. So this was the summer of 2001. And that's when a friend lent me his copy of Final Fantasy VIII, um, which will always have a near and dear place in my heart, even though it is very much the redheaded stepchild of the Final Fantasy games. Um, and in that summer, I just collected them. I mean, I think, you know, found a, a decently cheap copy of Final Fantasy VII, bought that, uh, started getting into tactics, et cetera, et cetera. It was very much a moment where my taste in gaming kind of matured, going from just playing sort of platformers, Crash Bandicoot, uh, Inspire the Dragon, to more uh, interesting or complex and intricate games with more in-depth mechanics and uh, much more intricate stories. Um and it also sort of sparked my sort of transition to thinking about um, fantasy as a genre in real interesting ways. That same year is when I got into the Harry Potter series, also uh, J.R.R. Tolkien. So that was kind of a very formative moment for me. <laughs> so kind of returning to those games has been um, really interesting in a lot of ways. And so I want to share some thoughts about both Final Fantasy Tactics and Final Fantasy VII. Um, so Final Fantasy Tactics, again, the original came out in 1997. Um a little bit after Final Fantasy VII had come out. Um, and it's interesting because it actually includes a game or includes a character from Final Fantasy VII. You can recruit Cloud to your team in um, Final Fantasy Tactics. You have to do some things mm. to kind of unlock some weird time travel mechanics, but he eventually is uh, recruitable as a character. However, what no one told me before I recruited him is that he starts off at level one when most of your characters uh -huh. are already up into like the 50s. So, oh my God, that was just like unfeasible for a lot of reasons that I will get yeah. into. Um, tactics is a hard game, um, particularly in that it is unforgiving from a design perspective. And it's just been this interesting thing to think about the way that remakes have had to function around this from remaking games in the 90s, because 90s design um, loved to put you through uh the gauntlet so to speak it's like you know a lot of people have been sort of noting been thinking through um the resident evil remakes games used to put you through some bs man like particularly resident <laughs> evil the idea that you had to have um printer ribbons in order to save meant that all mm -hmm. of your typical saving habits and even the idea of save scumming you gotta cut it out final fantasy yeah. tactics had a number of ways to sort of uh, implement those same sort of like, oh my goodness, this is a really demanding uh, game. Uh, and the first and most notable is a kind of death crystallization mechanic, uh, otherwise known as permadeath. So the battles in Final Fantasy Tactics function according to kind of tactical RPGs where um, it's not just a sort of same turn-turn um, style combat that most RPGs sort of function with. It's also you choose and you maneuver your position of your characters. And sometimes when you're attacking somebody, it if, especially if it's a melee attack where you're in close proximity, it really matters whether you're face on with them or whether you're attacking them from the side or even attacking them from behind because that might affect their chances to defend or block. It might also affect how much damage it is that they're taking. Um, but in the game, for any or, you know, with a handful of exceptions, any character who's on the field, if they died and they were dead for three complete turns, as in, you know, it would have been their turn, but they're dead, so they can't do anything. And so that cycles through all the characters three times. They turned either into an item, usually an item that that you know, person had equipped, or a crystal. And they were gone forever. Like, done. Mm, oh, man. Uh, and if that ever happened to your main character, that was a game. That was a fail state. Like, game over, mm. start over. Uh, now, here's the interesting thing about the instances if they turned into a crystal. 
if another character went over to that crystal and picked it up, you could either recover your full HP and MP, so your full health and your sort of magic power, mana, resource, or you could learn a skill that that character knew. And so it's kind of a mixed blessing in that, you know, high level playthroughs of the game actually basically try to wipe the field except for a handful of enemies because if you kill everybody uh the match is over but if you manage to keep a couple of them alive but sort of like in a kind of contained situation where they're kind of caught between two Mm. people they can't really you know get themselves out or hurt you in any way that lets all the rest of the enemies that you've killed turn into crystals and then you can go up to them right grab them oh exactly and that oh that's cool that actually became useful for the sort of way that i played through the game which i'll explain in a second but another thing that was interesting about the game is that it has random battle scaling so the campaign battles that you fight through in final fantasy tactics everybody is the same there's like a consistent sort of like scale of the level so you know so and so x boss in the middle of the game is going to be level 34 no matter how much grinding you do. So if you grind mm-hmm. to level 60 by the time you get there, mm-hmm. you're going to mop Raffle the floor. Raffle stomp. Yeah. Right. You're going to mop the floor with them. Um, however, the random encounters, so if I'm just moving about the world and it's like, boom, random encounter, those battles scale with your leveling. So, mm. and that ended up being mm. a problem for me because there was five characters that I was working with and I was trying to do very particular things with them. Uh, and they were 10 levels above everybody else in my battalion. But it effectively made it because so that I couldn't use like everybody else who I had in my battalion because they couldn't survive a story mission because they weren't level enough. But they also would just get like face crushed and like demolished (laughs) if I ever put them out in like a real match. So and that just like scaled as the game continued. So like my characters ended the game all level 99 and then I've got characters (laughs) that are like level 12. So right. it's just like, unless you evenly level up from the beginning, you can very easily screw yourself out of basically having mm. like a party full of useless people. Now, you can dismiss certain party members, but the other way that you can sort of opt to play the game is you could pick up special new members that can learn to use certain things. So do I really want to dismiss the only character that I have that can use or access certain abilities? No. So really tricky really hard and difficult way to like maneuver yourself into a way into this game where you can't you don't really have a lot of great options uh and all of that is particularly topped off by uh a certain thing that happens in a number of tactical rpgs or a number of rpgs in general which is a job system right so there are no fixed abilities no fixed class any character Hmm. with the exception of some of those specialty classes um so there are some, like, for example, there's a, a holy knight, right? And there's no other holy knights in the game. And you can recruit them to your party, but if they die or disappear or whatever, you don't get another one. And there are a few other classes like that. There's, like, a beast master. There's also an engineer that has the ability to, like, use guns in particular kinds of ways. Uh, but, you know, everybody else, for every other class, anybody can learn anything. Anybody can be a wizard. Anybody can be a knight. Anybody can be a monk. Uh, in fact, it actually behooves you to move them through those with some like level of efficiency because that's, you know, by leveling up certain their affinity with certain classes, that's how they are new classes, um, which is great because there's a lot of freedom. And then you can start to think about how do different classes interact with each other. Uh, if I give uh, a certain character abilities from one class, but have them as another class, does that like give them some like particular tricks that they can pull out? So that's really fun. 
The downside to that, however, is that the game then can literally throw anything at you. So there were a number of situations where, you know, I would go into a battle usually with my main guy, whose name is Ramza, um, sort of the main character of the game. And then I'd have two melee fighters and then two mages. But the way that the match I was fighting, excuse me, uh, would basically prefer that you used all melee fighters. So then the only Mm. solution is to go into my setup and rearrange everything that I'd been working for. Uh, because Ugh. that's what the game needed. And yeah, because you always have the option of like, okay, clearly this boss only responds to melee physical attackers. It's not a matter of just using my one melee physical attacker. It's, it's turning my party into a physical attack party. It, mm. it, it just kind of makes the game feel cheap. Uh, yeah. Without, yeah. Thinking me on that. I feel like you burn a lot of time, like setting up for something that you want to do and think is cool. And then, poof right yeah exactly um which is interesting because then there are some final fantasy games that don't give you that option at all like characters have very distinct very specific class roles and you they're functionally inflexible any other way so it's a weird kind of way to kind of navigate between those two design philosophies now Mm. the thing that happens in the remake that was made in 2007 and came out for the psp is that it includes a couple of different translations for some of the um the dialogue and some of the uh, names of jobs and their classes and their abilities. Uh, there are uh, hand-drawn full motion cutscenes for some of the dialogue story beats. Uh, and they have a handful of new mechanics, including the ability, you know, so I've mentioned a, go- a second ago, I mentioned that there's a, a holy knight, which is sort of one of those protected classes that like only one protected class is a weird way to say that uh, limited classes or limited jobs that only one character has access to. There used to be another one called the dark knight, uh, and this all came out before the movie. <laughs> Just want to say that. Um, and he used to be a kind of guest NPC combat ally that had the class. And uh, the class had uh, a combination of sort of melee style um, sort of fighting. So he would use swords. But he also had like ranged attacks that felt like magic. But they didn't have a charge time because usually even very high powerful magic requires like a couple of turns before it like initiates. It doesn't happen instantaneously. And it didn't require any magic power. So the things that always like were the drawbacks to using mages, despite the fact that they could attack from you know a distance and do some pretty cool things, this guy just basically had from the jump. So he's attacking dudes from like across the field, uh, and he's not draining any magic. And his abilities often would have like perks to them. So there was one ability that if you used it, uh, he would do damage and do a decent amount of damage, but then it would return health to you for the amount of damage that you inflicted. To top it all off, he has the highest Mm. attack rating of the game. Uh, Mm. That class in the remake is actually unlockable. It is extraordinarily hard and time-consuming to unlock it, which is one of the reasons why Mm. I was so overleveled very early on in the game, because I was just spending a bunch of time in these random battles to get, you know, the character up to that point. But once I did, uh, I got to the point where I was like, huh, all my other folks are pretty much leveled fairly highly too i might as well equip them all with the same ability uh Mm -hmm. and there was one sort of rewarding sequence a rewarding payoff to this where in the last sort of series of fights that lead up to the last game the game just throws like 
five different types of magic users at you. There's people who are manipulating time to make themselves go faster. They're trying to manipulate time to make so that you either go slow or stop completely. There's uh, people who are summoning these like demons that come onto the field to like wreck your day. And then you've got just like regular magic casters. Like it's like, it's pretty intense. But one of the Dark Knight's abilities doesn't attack your health. It attacks your magic. So by like two or three turns in, I wipe them all entirely of any of their magic points. So I've got like a field full of people with these wooden canes that they were using as staves and like wands <laughs> trying to like knock me unconscious, but doing very little damage. So yeah. that was like a fun payoff to doing that. But like, it, it's good to know that for as much as this game can be broken, <laughs> there are ways right. <laughs> you can break it as well. Um, so that yeah. was a rewarding payoff. Um, and that's Final Fantasy Tactics. Um, and then, of course, there's Final Fantasy VII, the remake. Um, a, the thing everyone's talking about yeah, right, right now. Right. Everyone loves Tifa Lockhart and Cloud, <laughs> the guy with headaches. Yes. Is that in the original game? Uh, I don't even know. Yes, it is in the original game. Um, okay. Because it actually connects to a, a part of the story that we are very, 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 very far away from in terms of what happens in the remake, but is is pretty important. Um, it, now, have you finished? Have you finished the remake? I have. Okay, all right. I have finished the remake. I finished it a couple of days ago. Uh, nice. I've got a lot of thoughts on this, and I have <laughs> okay two pages full of um, <laughs> notes, uh, and I want to try and you know truncate what I want to say uh, to be somewhat contained. Um. It's a great game. Give us, give us what you got, Terrell. Okay, you. So you like the remake a lot. I do. I, I, I like it. Um, it's a great way to adapt something that is twenty plus years old. Um, mm. I, I have to say, I enjoyed my time with it. There were moments where I grinded and spent more time in it because clearly I liked it and had fun with it. Uh, mm. and, and here's the catch, and and here's where you know this whole conversation is going to turn. Uh. The remake for me is very much the swan song to this generation of console gaming. Um, mm. A lot of people said a very mm. similar thing about The Last of Us in 2013, that the mechanics of that game, um, between the way that it handled, the fact that there were like stealth elements, the fact that there were these upgrades that you could optionally pick up, but didn't really matter if you did or not. All of that basically summed up what the Xbox 360, the PS3, and the Wii generation of gaming had been about. Right. Yeah. And I think that it's it's very weird for me to say this, knowing that next month the Last of Us Part Two comes out. Uh but <laughs> provisionally, unless The Last of Us Part Two decides to retake the title, I'm calling FF seven remake the the kind of swan song to this current console generation. Um however, because of that and because of its adaptational wonkiness it kind of reveals some of the kind of issues with video game tropes and design conventions um, sort of of the kind of current moment of video games. And I've got a couple of beats on that that I want to kind of touch in and sort of dive in to moments where as much as I love this game, man, there's some stuff that just happened. And I was just like, what? Like flip the table <laughs> type things. No, so thanks. If you, if you could sum up like, if it's the swan song of this generation, like what are like, I don't know, three defining characteristics that it like does well, but that are kind of like 
I don't know, mechanics or gameplay systems that just aren't going to be around for all, you know, aren't going to be the, the predominant thing. Like what, what would like be three of those if you had to, if you had to sum that up? Three of those. So I think the combination of genres would be mm. one and the, um, the attempt to kind of make the kind of RPG action thing sort of play off in a particular kind of way. Uh, the intense graphical fidelity, uh, the attempt mm-hmm. to make people uh, look like people and to make places look as though they are bustling and full of, of kind of life and energy uh, that they're actually lived in places that exist without you being um, in them, if that makes sense. Uh, sure. And I'll, I'll just like to sort of punctuate or just to say something briefly about that. This is one of the reasons why, I mean, you know, the Final Fantasy VII remake is has got a whole history into itself that deserves some some backing up. But uh, the one thing I'll say briefly here is I remember when the initial well, you can't even call it a trailer because what it what what it really started off was was a tech demo, and this tech demo debuted right before the PS3 launched. So this was might have been two thousand five. Um, oh wow, two thousand five, two thousand six, around that time. And oh my god, that's. PS3 launch. <laughs> so this has been in a while in the making. Well, uh, yeah, pause. Not really. Yeah. Because it was a it was a tech demo and at the end of the video, so what it ultimately showed was like the initial sort of iconic scenes of the game where uh Aerith is sitting there sort of praying by this maybe it's a reactor or a piece of a reactor sorts and then she's walking out into the city and then you see the train pull up and you know the the bombing mission theme sort of playing triumphantly in the background. And you see cloud does the flip off onto the platform and he busts out a sword, looks into the camera and it's all badass. Everybody's like, Oh my God, this is amazing. They're going to remake mm-hmm. Final Fantasy seven. And then at the end it said final fantasy seven tech demo. And then they had to come out and say, <laughs> no, eventually they came out and eventually said, but the tech demo logo wasn't enough. People were still buzzing about it. And they were like, remake it, remake it, remake it. <laughs> yeah, and then of years later, people were like, they made it clear. Like we don't have any intentions of remaking the game. It's just a tech demo. But oh then people God. were like, nah, nah, they're lying. They're just gassing us up. And then Sony was just like, look, y'all, that game came out decades ago. It would be extremely yeah. hard to remake it. We don't have any plans for it. And then eventually, you know, they announced that they were going to do it and it was going to have a sort of episodic or a kind of piecemeal sort of debut. There's been some talk about the fact that it's called the FF7 remake as opposed to uh, literally, you know, FF7 part one. And that that's yeah. going to be confusing for people who haven't kept up with the history of it for so much. Uh, but, you know, just the thing that's interesting about that is another game that kind of had a similar well not similar but like extended kind of release and history to it is kingdom hearts 3 and when you play Mm. kingdom hearts 3 you can tell that they started designing some of those levels back in 2008 for like a 2009 release and the Mm -hmm. reason for that is because they like feel like video game levels it's like oh there's a corner like why is this room a square oh because like rooms are square in video games and there's like (laughs) you know chests over in that corner why oh so you can go over there and pick them up like it doesn't feel organic whatsoever and you could tell that something happened at some point in time and they were like let's hold off for another console but then they didn't sort of stop and like rethink everything that took to that the um, the Final Fantasy VII Remake tries to push back against that as much as possible. Every stage, every area feels organic to a certain degree. Um, 
I would say that that's part of one of the issues with it is that the organic space feeling like or the space feeling organic as though it's a, a thing that actually exists in a world trades off with the ability to navigate it. And I think, mm. you know, stuff like um, the criticism of Horizon Zero Dawn and the criticism of um, The Witcher, where everybody was like these waypoints like trade off with the realism of the game. They took it to heart, and there aren't really substantial waypoints in the game, but that makes navigating harder. Uh, mm. So there's, like, the mm-hmm. gaminess versus, like, the sort of verisimilitude. Those two elements seem to be butting heads. And that's one of the real things is what I would say is kind of one of the things that, you know, really kind of defines uh, this moment of gaming where everything is looking better than ever, but it's like, is this a movie or is this a game? Yeah, right. That's been the the goal for so long right it was to like create a movie and you're like well it should also be a game it should also be a good game right right and so there ends up being these weird paradoxes of realism um so for example one moment that happens um a little ways into the game uh you know you're finishing a bunch of side quests and you know i tried i did all the side quests and i just you know which i guess you know again tests like i thought this was a good game despite my criticism of it uh and you know at the finish, at the point where you sort of finish all the side quests in an area, um, Tifa kind of looks to Cloud and says, another solid gig in the books, just after you finish that last side quest. But here's the thing. The last side quest I finished was doing something for an old man who, you know, didn't, wasn't able to visit the grave of his widow uh, because uh, there were a bunch of monsters around it. So you went and took care of those monsters and, you know, paid the respects or, you know, put something there on the grave um in his stead and then he asked for some other favor from cloud you know based on that generosity and cloud was like for price and this guy was like you know what the hell with you i don't want any mercenaries in this town i don't want shinra in this town let's build up the neighborhood watch and kick your ass out and then immediately after that like two minutes later tifa's like another solid gig in the books and it's like (laughs) clearly tifa Tifa's NP or character is like on some rails and just didn't realize that that was going to be how that happened. And now I'm sitting here in this thing that's rendered beautifully with this like plot beat that like doesn't make sense with what just happened. Mm. Right. Mm. Um, you know, and there's this, you know, other moment where you're hanging out with the characters. So like part of the plot of Final Fantasy seven is that, you know, cloud who's a mercenary used to be, um, a part of this elite military group called soldier um, is working with this group called avalanche, which is essentially a terrorist cell, an eco terrorist cell. That's like working against uh, the ways in which Shinra's kind of a corp- uh, acquiring energy at the expense of the planet. Um, and so you're with this character as they go to, you know, their hometown to visit her family, you know, as part of kind of a side mission that she's doing. And her family doesn't know what she's up to. Her family thinks that she is a theater stagehand, right? But she rolls into her house to talk to her mother and have dinner wearing a headband and this armor that's like weirdly contoured to her breasts and chest uh, and has an Uzi sitting on her hip. And there's these moments where (laughs) other characters are sitting down at the table with her and they've got like grenades across their chest. And it's like, the hell? (laughs) Y'all didn't think to get rid of your gats before walking into this like poor woman's house. <laughs> Theater is a crazy business, man. You Listen, know, it's wild out there. Happen. It's hard to get those gigs. You got to be ready for anything. Ready for any possible thing. Sure. There, Terrell, I want to I want to mention something. Uh, 
just because I'm literally writing about realism right now. Um, and I think it, it's just to summarize what you're, you've illustrated narratively uh, really well. There's a great article by a, a German scholar who uh, wrote about video games, um, wrote it, writing about the history of the development of like different game engines and the aesthetic of realism, right? And like the the question of systems and interactivity. And um, they make a point. I can't remember their name right now. I think it's like, they have like a hyphenated last name. I can't remember what it is right now. But the the, the quote is basically like, for the longest time, interactivity and like, you know, verisimilitude or like realism in games, like making something look really lush and detailed. Those things were like basically opposed to each other for so long because it was like you could make a really pretty looking thing and spend all your time and money making it like look really nice or you could make something that like was really responsive and reactive to your input and would never put someone with a gun at the dinner table, right? Because it just like doesn't make sense in context. But like for the longest time, it was really hard to bring those things together because it was just like extremely expensive to animate those beautiful looking things and to make them responsive. Right, right. And, you know, it's funny because, you know, something that the folks at um, IGN and the podcast Beyond talk about a lot is that, one of the things that's weird about people who, you know, complain or have criticism of video games is, is that with most other mediums, say like, you know, even text or like writing, um, so like a novel or a short story or whatever, or a picture or even a movie, none of us are like novelists, none of us are like filmmakers, and none of us are like expert photographers, but we've, you know, played with photos and videos on our phones and taking photos and videos we've written stuff before we have a sense of like what's required in making those things and with video games it's like none of us have had to invent gravity before (laughs) right or textures and polygons to anything to that extent so there's like a different level of like and so there's a part of me that's like huh like this this took a lot of work uh to invent this and i realized that they probably would have had to invent different costumes or had this whole moment where um, Jesse, the character who I'm sort of talking about, who went to visit her, her parents, was like, yeah, 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 maybe we should take off our armor and guns before going into my parents' house. <laughs> Might raise suspicion. Uh, and that would have taken time. And, you know, I'm right. sure that, like, the pandemic, in some way, shape, or form, probably, you know, futzed with, like, the fine polishing and tuning of some of these things. So, you know, it's possible mm-hmm. that there could have been a different sort of way that some of this played out. Um but I mean, then there's just sort of like weird mechanical decisions uh, that sort of take place or kind of, you know, play their way out. I mean, the cutscene and what counts as a cutscene and how a cutscene operates is fundamentally like a thing that kept on annoying me throughout this game. So, mm. for example, there's, you know, the moments where you're sort of exploring what the what's the equivalent of like a dungeon or in solving puzzles and sort of you know going through things the characters will have side banter and this is the thing that's been going on for a while where you know you could be running down the hallway um and characters will sort of exchange story beats as you're still in control uh or then there's the cutscene right where it's like okay no we're going to take control from you entirely we're going to take care of the camera and we're going to play a movie for you um before you do the next thing right but one of the other things that kind of defines this weird moment in games is that like depending on what the cutscene is you don't necessarily have to step up or notch the graphics or change 
the perspective radically. It can still look like the game looks like when you're controlling it. It's just you don't have control. Uh, but then there are moments where they'll throw a cutscene in and just give you bad dialogue and awkwardly distant and bland camera angles and cuts. So, you know, for example, there's this moment where I was in one of these dungeons and I kind of had to figure out this puzzle to open up a door or a passage. And then it triggered a cutscene to start, right? And this cutscene is, you know, very simple. It's Tifa saying, a way down. And then Aerith responds, I wonder if we can get through. And then Cloud says, let's check it out. And that took all of 10 seconds to do. But I was like, motherfucker, I just opened the goddamn door. Let me go through the fucking door. Like, just can they say that as I'm on the way? Like, y'all talking about how we just found out that so-and-so was up to some bad shit. We got to get to the others quickly. Why the hell would you sit in a circle and have this shut shut up and get to? And I have to admit that, like, when I get locked into, like, a mechanic or, like, a set of things happening, there's a part of me that just is, like, keep the flow going. Like, the more these things that chop up and just end up being meaningless, the quicker I get frustrated and I just have, like, a very personally a low, like, frustration tolerance in general. But these were just the things that, like, hmm. ugh. But then there were moments yeah. where it really went to, you know, a ne another level. So, for example... The boss fights are full of these sort of cutscene-like animations that were not that different from the original sort of mechanics. So, like, in remaking the game, they switched from the turn-based mechanics to more action RPG. And they kind of kept some of the, like, you know, um, resources where you have to, like, wait your turn before you can do certain actions. You can always do your basic attack, but, like, choosing to do some of your more complicated or effective maneuvers, that takes time and that takes some, you know, processing you know, or so waiting for, you know, your abilities to kind of get to that point. Um, but then as you're trying to manage all that, and you're trying to think about how to get the boss in a position where you can, you know, best pull off all your moves, the bosses will then trigger like their attacks or abilities. And that turns into like a good 30, 40 second cutscene that you're just sitting there watching. And then you're trying to sit in there and process like, okay, is the boss about to hit me for a bunch of AOE damage? Is the boss about to try and heal itself? Is the boss about to call in like a bunch of minions to help it out? And it's just, there there had to have been a better way to like convey this information rather than like playing these little mini vignette movies in between what is a moment where I am in the flow and the heat of combat and trying to pull off a bunch of stuff. Like don't show me your little art project in the minute of <laughs> me trying to do the damn thing. Right. Yeah. And it's this moment yeah. where like the gamer and the person who's invested in story, as much as those two things should be the same, Eh, in part because like me trying to pull my characters together and have them play their roles is a part of the story for me anyway. Mm, mm. And there's one part to this particular awkwardness of the cutscene bit that really pissed me off. So in the final boss battle, I'm not, I, I'm not going to spoil what that battle is, but it's its own mess. Um, I, I had just gotten my limit break, which is sort of the special attacks for each of the characters for cloud up to you know it's full and i was just i just selected my most his pat most powerful ability his limit break his level two limit break ascension and i was like all right you went for it now but then my other characters in the party damaged the boss to a point where it shifted to another phase a cutscene appeared that demonstrated that up oh, you're shifting phases and it canceled the limit break and my gauge went back to zero and i was just like so oh, this could have been done, but because you decided to be cute. Yeah. And I was just like, and that combined with some other narrative things that I, I can't 
I can't go into really, really <laughs> was, was just a drag. So I'll just, I guess I'll close with, with this, this last piece. Um, so, you know, there's this real problem with text versus texture in the game. Uh, so cloud is technically a mercenary, right? And I've sort of explained, like, you know, he's part of the sort of soldier program. There's this weird moment where Barrett sometimes calls him soldier boy, and I just can't handle it. <laughs> I, I love I, that. I've seen that screenshot. I, I love it. I hate it. Um, and so as an extension of that whole idea of him being a mercenary, you know, for Avalanche, he'll sometimes in the towns that he visits, he'll, he'll try to be a sort of mercenary um, for the people around. That's why he's sort of doing the side quests, and that's how they kind of explain it. It's like, you know, this is his extension of being a mercenary. But rather than, you know, because he's hired for Avalanche to, like, do dangerous things, like take out, like, security guards and things like that, uh, the side quests sometimes have you herding cats or finding lost kids in the streets. So Sorry, literally, literally herding cats? Yes. There is a side <laughs> quest where you are chasing down cats. I love that. I actually really like that. That's pretty cool, actually. <laughs> well, but here's the thing. It's all supposed to be like, yeah, he's that Merc. Let me hire him to find my cats. So, like, mercenary is supposed to mean gun for hire, but now it just means errand boy. It's like, yeah, those two things kind of feel similar, but you've sort of lost them um, in the heat of all of it. And it just, to me, it gets back to, like, the way that the storytelling and some of the decisions that they make. I won't get into all of it really just sort of washed out and turned into narrative dumps, became really unimaginative. Um, but that said, you know, there is the song that kind of is the kind of iconic song for the game called Hollow. It's sung by Survive Said the Planet. Uh, and there's a vagueish existential vibe in the closing hour of the game uh, that really kind of jives with that song um, and the remake and with the world of 2020 and my life right now. Mm. And mm. that mm. that left me with, yeah. with something of a decent taste in my mouth, despite some of these, you know, very bad frustrations that got worse in the last, like, waning hours of the game. Well, I think we can say uh, that it's a good time for nostalgia. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good and time that, to just uh, do something that's comforting, do something that's nice for yourself, you yeah. know? And companies are going to take advantage of that. <laughs> we'll probably produce more games like this. Uh, we, we, we'll be have a lot more fodder for discussion soon. Two sides of the same coin, you know. Uh, thanks for sticking with us. As always, if you are hungry for more Scholars at Play, you can go to scholarsatplay.net, uh, where we've got some lovely blog posts, and uh, you can find links to a lot of the work that we've done. Um, you can always send us an email at scholars at play podcast at gmail.com. I do keep an eye on that. Um, hmm. So, you know, if you got questions, thoughts, send them our way. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at scholars at play. I have to confess, I don't think I've logged into that account for many months, <laughs> I, but I uh, follow it. And so I don't <laughs> think anyone's like cited it. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's there. Uh, probably something I check a lot more often. And in fact, every single day is my personal Twitter, which is uh, digital underscore Derek. Um, Kyle, how about you? Where can uh, people at, bother uh, you? At E underscore Kyle underscore Romero uh, on Twitter. Beautiful. Terrell? Black Socrates. Black Socrates. Send us, <laughs> bother bother us, you know, send us your thoughts. Tell us how wrong we are. Um, maybe snitch on me to Tony Go that I stole his game. 
Don't do we that. Thrive Please don't do that. <laughs> we thrive on it. We thrive on it. Maybe maybe at the uh, Square Enix and just tell them how Terrell <laughs> thinks Final Fantasy VII Remake sucks, but actually he loves it. Um, Come on now. Or don't do any of those. <laughs> <laughs> Told you. I said it was a good game. Now he's snitching. <laughs> don't do any of that. Um, but we do want to say thank you, of course, to our distinguished colleagues on Patreon, including Carol R., and uh, we would love to thank Visitor for the use of their song. Uh, oh, gosh, We Can Do It is the one I've written down here. Need to make sure that that's the actual audio file I have downloaded. And all of their music, which is all very All of their good. music. All really good. You can find it on SoundCloud.com slash Visager Music. And you should also follow them on Twitter at Visager Music. Um, that's going to do it for us. That's the uh, that's a show. I think that's that a show. 100% show. 100% speed run, all unlocks, all hot takes, world record. All right. Talk to you guys soon. Yeah. See you guys later. Later. Peace. Peace.